Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week we will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Bella Collins. Hello, Bella. Welcome. Please introduce yourself for me. Hi, Alex. Thanks for interviewing me. I feel honoured to be part of your podcast. Um, so I'm Bella. I'm 29. Uh, it's my birthday last week, so I had to think about that one. And I'm from Essex originally, but I now live in Cornwall. I have done two rows. So the first row I did when I was 22 with Row Like a Girl, and that was across the Atlantic in the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Uh, it was a four-woman team. It took us 40 days. We came second in the race. There were 26 teams in the race that year. My brother beat me by a couple of days. And we broke two world records. Uh, so we were the youngest four-woman crew to cross the Atlantic and the fastest four-men. And both of those have since been broken sadly and then just this year actually uh, at the age of 28 I rode across the Pacific so that was from San Francisco to Hawaii and that was with a team called Ocean Shivos again that's four women four completely different women um, and we did it in a race called the Great Pacific Race so there were three teams my brother beat me again and we came second again And uh, but we did also break uh, another world record which is the fastest four women to row across the Pacific Ocean taking us 35 days we, yeah we were the fastest woman to, four women to go across the Pacific as always, we start with the big one. Why did you want to row across an ocean? A lot of people ask me, how on earth do you get into the world of ocean rowing? For me, it started with my uncle. So when I was just about 13, I think, um, my uncle, Charlie Pitcher, who lots of people in the ocean rowing world know, uh, rowed across the Atlantic Ocean solo. And, you know, in my teen years, I just thought this is absolutely amazing. Like, what is this sport? And what a challenge. I never ever thought that maybe, you know, that it would be something that I would take on at that point. I just was totally in awe or, or sort of what he did. My brother Angus then rode across the Indian Ocean when I was 20. That was from Australia to the Seychelles. And I was out in the Seychelles waiting for him to come in with um, a girl called Lauren Morton. Uh, her boyfriend was in the same boat as Angus. And there's another girl there called G and her, her boyfriend was also in the boat with Angus. And so the three of us got talking and Lauren had uh, attempted to row across the Atlantic the year before. And said, you know, that she was slightly haunted by the fact that she didn't actually complete the crossing. She had to get picked up by a tanker and taken up to Canada and was looking to form a new female team. And would G and I do it? And both of us said, yes, I think probably after a couple of cocktails in the, Se in the Seychelles. And so the, the crew was formed there. And uh, we had a fourth woman called Olivia join the team. It was a really, really short campaign. We, we sort of signed up in the February and were rowing by that Christmas. So we had to put a lot of work in. And Lauren did an amazing job at sort of le leading the team on that one. I think a lot of people didn't expect me to be able to do it. I'm quite young and or I was quite young and I wasn't you know, physically the fittest person in the world. I actually had never even been in a rowing boat. When Angus first took me out, I rowed backwards because I didn't know how to do it. So it all came around quite quickly and I had to learn really quickly of, you know, what to do and get through all the courses. And we had to become, you know, friends really quickly and, and work out how we, we functioned as a team. But I think the fact that lots of people didn't expect me to be able to complete it just pushed me forward. I'm quite stubborn and I like to prove people wrong and I love a challenge. And we just approached it from a point of view of let's just have fun. We weren't going into it competitively. We just said let's just have a good time and, and and complete it but actually within a couple of days into that race we realized that we were doing really well we took a really risky route we headed very south as the rest of the fleet tried to head directly west um, and that worked in our favor as they all got put to power anchor by um sort of adverse winds and we managed to skip that and picked up the trade winds and, and flew up north so i think we overtook you know five or six boats in two days and, and ended up coming in second um and we had an amazing time whilst we were doing it i then um, moved back 
to the UK, but was, wasn't really happy in London, to be honest, and very quickly decided I need to make a, some changes in my life. So I uh, got offered a job out in California with the company I was working for, headed out there for a couple of years. And actually, it was just the beginning of lockdown that I decided to move home because I signed up to row across the Pacific with a new team. The reason I wanted to take on a second crossing... I think I didn't want to be a one hit wonder. And I think that when I did the Atlantic, I was quite young and naive and I wasn't really sure whether, you know, I deserved the sort of the pedestal that people were putting me on. And I kind of wanted to prove to myself that I did deserve to be on it. And it wasn't just about the rowing the Atlantic. It was about the whole campaign and whether I could raise that much money and, you know, run a professional campaign with all the creative and the social media and the website and everything, which is I work in marketing. So I think it was, it was sort of a, a, a sort of another string to my bow in my professional career as well. So there were, yeah, several reasons why I wanted to take on the Pacific. And I got approached by a woman called P and she was putting a team together and um, she had the fundraising in place behind the team. And she was lovely. We got on like a house on fire within two minutes. And actually, we're still best of friends today. And we brought in Mary and Lily into the team and it, and it was another sort of dream team. So that's how we took on the Pacific. And yeah, that's brought me to where I am today. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossings. Coming into Antigua after the Atlantic was actually, I think, the highest moment of my life ever. Just the ship letting off all of their horns. We had a massive crowd. There must have been hundreds of people seeing my family, seeing my brother there, who, you know, finished a couple of days ahead of me, was just so euphoric and like winning a gold medal at the Olympics. It's just, it was unbelievable. So that would be sort of a moment that forever stays in my memory. Um, from this crossing, I think it's easier to remember from this crossing because it was, it was so recent, but two top moments would be one when we finally had a calm day and we weren't absolutely sodden and the sun was out and we were, you know, spirits were up and we put a Coldplay live album on and we were all up on deck for one of the first times as well and we just sung Coldplay at the top of our voices um, and just really took in our surroundings and that felt really, really special. I'd say another moment of that crossing was there was a sunset session that Mary and I were doing. They were always my favourites, especially towards the end because the heat of the day had sort of broken down a little bit um, and I loved watching the sunsets and Mary and I were just surfing some waves and listening to some good tunes and I just remember feeling sort of very at ease and very happy with sort of no cares in the world and, and that, that moment was stay in my mind as well. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? One of the hardest parts physically in this crossing uh, across the Pacific would have been the first five days. We had side-on uh, winds and swell for the first five days. Uh, and P was sadly really badly seasick. So I had to miss a couple of night shifts, which meant that we had to make up for them because we knew we had to get off the continental plate as quickly as possible. And we couldn't eat. I actually suffered seasickness for the first time in my life. Not badly, but enough that I couldn't eat and, and put any sort of energy back into my body. And it was just painful and we were wet and we were sodden. And I think that just, there are times I go into my cabin and just cry and be like, why have I done this again? What was I thinking? This is a form of torture. So that was a massive, massive toll on my body. The hardest part mentally, I think for both ocean crossings for me was actually towards the end, those sort of final 10 days, I get into this really bad habit of number crunching and saying, well, if we're going at this speed, then we're going to get in at this time. And actually I forget to live in the moment and just enjoy the surroundings. And those last couple of days of, of the sort of the peacefulness that you get at sea, you know, you don't have to-do lists, you don't have your phone buzzing you don't have people calling you up and asking you for things and if I did it a third time um which people ask me a lot I would have to keep reminding myself you know don't waste these last couple of days wishing you were on land because when you get to land you'll be wishing you were at sea excluding people and pets which three things did you miss the most while you were at sea 
Things I miss the most at sea are probably the more simple pleasures. So a shower, just being able to wash your hair. And this last trip, my hair was just solid with grease the entire time. It was horrible. So just a nice shower or bath. Like I just dreamt of a bath with bubbles and nice smells and candles all around me. I got nicknamed Princess Bella because I can be a bit of a princess. So definitely that. A drink other than water with electrolytes in it. Like I just really missed smoothies and a Coca-Cola. Oh my gosh, every single day I just said, why did I not bring a like a can of Coca-Cola as a halfway treat or something. So yeah, sort of a good drink. And probably a third thing would be the ability to stretch maybe. I do a lot of yoga um, and I love just being able to, for both my mental health and for my sort of physical strength and flexibility, a bit of stretch and yoga and not being able to do that at sea makes it sort of really hard on my mental state. And also, yeah, your, your body just gets more, more into more and more pain. How much training did you do before the row? Before my Atlantic row, I was quite young and I think therefore I naturally had a certain degree of fitness. And so I didn't do as much training as I did before the Pacific. So the Atlantic, I probably did eight weeks of intense training before it um, and probably three months of generally just staying fit in the gym and, and sort of sitting myself down on the rowing machine. This time, because I'm a little bit older and I think I just, I knew what I was undertaking and therefore wanted, and I wanted to do it to the very, very best of my ability. I took my training really seriously. So we got Gus Bar um, who trains lots of uh, ocean rowers to set our specific program. And because we were training in lockdown, it was actually really easy to commit to it because there's nothing else to do. There's no, no social events. You know, there was, there's absolutely nothing. So I, I borrowed a rowing machine that was put in between my, in between my bed and my bathroom, my tiny cottage, um, and used to sit myself on that. And actually with Gus's help, and I had a PT locally as well, I managed to get from being able to maybe do 10, 15 minutes of rowing in the September. And by March, I actually rowed a marathon, which took me three and up just under three and a half hours. But alongside that, I did a lot of strength training. So lot, like lot lifting weights and Gus is really good at mobility as well. So actually not just making sure that you're strong and fit, um, but actually you're mobile and that you're balanced and your limbs are, are working correctly. So um, I think this row, I was really, really happy. And I, I went into it and think, like knowing that I was the strongest I've ever been in my life. And that gave me that sort of extra push, especially in the first five days to know that I could, I could do it. And that was strong enough to push through it. So I think for anybody else, you know, if you're going to, if you're thinking about how much training to do, do as much as you can because it helps with your mental health going into it and, and you know, how how well you think you can you can take on the ocean. Did you suffer with any injuries, sores, nasties, or sickness? I haven't suffered any major injuries on either of my rows. The Atlantic didn't literally didn't have a single problem. I wasn't seasick. I had zero injuries, which is really, really lucky. But again, maybe that comes down to, you know, my age and how young I was. This row, I did have problems. I've, I've had foot reconstruction in my left foot. And um, that really gave me some niggles on this row. When I wasn't rowing in my position that was set up for me, sometimes I had to jump into the, some of the other seats. I really noticed the impact that had on my body. So after the first couple of days and I saw what was happening, I said, look, I can only row in the position position that was set up for me in the bow and had no niggles after that. So I think it just shows the importance of setting up the rowing positions for each individual person or like P and I were the, pretty much the same size so we could sit in the same seat. And then Mary and Lily were same height as well. So they, they we had sort of a station set up for them. So I think it's just looking at your team and looking at sort of how people row, what their style is, what their height is and making sure that the positions are set up correctly um, to prevent injury. The Pacific, I did suffer a bit of seasick as I mentioned, seasickness as I mentioned earlier. I just threw up 
a lot on one one night, which is weird because I've never had it before. But I think because it was it was so rocky on the Pacific, and we had to keep our navigation lights on for quite a few nights because there's a lot of uh, traffic. And just seeing this green light and just bobbing around just made me so ill. So that wasn't that wasn't too pleasant. But luckily, got over it pretty quickly. The only other injury I had in the Pacific was when uh, a big wave built up underneath the stern of the boat and it just picked us up and threw myself and Mary off of our seats and I got pinned on the cabin door by my oars and as that happened the oar went up my shin and scraped all the skin away so that was really painful and the problem was that after that every time the waves hit my oars and the oars caught my shins it was pure agony to the point of sort of like take my breath away and I sort of have to hyperventilate and get my breath back a bit so that was that was pretty painful but I managed to construct a um a shin pad out of some buffs and some socks that I used to put on every night to try and protect my skins and that managed to get me through it. Can you pick three songs which remind you of your row? Music played a massive part in our row. We had we had a um of the Pacific Row, this is we had a speaker up on deck that we listened to all the time as a team. And I think that really brought us all together. And the downside is it's not always your music of choice, but actually I like the fact that we were all listening to the same music and we could feel sort of part of one family or team. So yeah, three songs that remind me of the row. One would definitely be any Coldplay song that was in the Buenos Aires album, live album. Um another would be Lizzo Good as Hell. Just love that song. It's so powerful and it makes me want to dance and you know just be a hero um and then the third song I actually can't remember the name of it and I'd never heard of it before but as we finished the the crossing and we were at the fin- like the finish line and one of the songs came on the playlist I didn't actually know but somehow learned the words really quickly and now it's just going to be that song that every time we see any video or footage of the finish line that song just comes to my head but to this day I actually don't know what it's called sorry <laughs> did you suffer with any post-adventure blues Post-adventure blues, I think, are pretty common with all rowers or anybody that does a big adventure and then sort of comes back to normality. I think it is it is really hard. I think after the Atlantic, I wasn't looking forward to come home, coming home. And I spent six weeks in Antigua, actually, just decompressing and partying. And I did really suffer. I mean, friends say I was like a zombie for six months after that row. But when I realized what I, how, how I was acting, I then took steps to say, well, you need to change something um, and approached my company and said, you know, I need, I need to go abroad or I need a challenge. And, and they said, well, they've got this office opening in California. And um, would I, you know, like to go out there? And I think they wouldn't have given me that opportunity if I hadn't done the row. I think they saw how I took on a challenge and how I just take it head on. Um, and I thought that that gave them the confidence to say, well, she can take on California. California and set up the marketing out there. So that's how I got over the post-adventure blues uh, after the Atlantic. After the Pacific, um, I was actually really, really looking forward to coming home. I've only recently moved to Cornwall. I work for an amazing startup called FlexiHex, which is trying to strip plastic from the packaging industry. And because I moved to Cornwall in lockdown, I hadn't really got to meet new friends, to make the most of the amazing landscape or get into surfing. Um, so I was really, really looking forward to coming home. And I just bought a new flat as well. So I wanted to you know, make a house a home. So I think because I'd, I'd had that to come back to, I haven't struggled so much this time. Although I am already sort of sort of feeling overwhelmed by life in terms of your phone and family and people just needing things from you and it's just so hectic. And so I just need to keep reminding myself just to slow down because the beauty of ocean crossings is it forces you to slow down and that gives you this sort of total peace of mind and just trying to bring that into my day-to-day life. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've sort of had very different reactions to, to both rows. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? My advice to any future rowers or people that are just considering it 
The hardest part is just saying yes. So just say yes. Don't worry about the consequences so much because I think you'll be surprised at how many people want to support you and you take, you're taking on something like this. Especially within careers, a lot of people say, oh, my job wouldn't allow it. I didn't think that my job would allow it the first time. And they not only did they support it, they actually donated 10K to our sponsorship and, and really sort of gave me the time to train and to campaign and go out and do pitches for further sponsorship. And I was really, really surprised. So just say yes to the row and then ask. I think that's the hardest bit. Once you're on sort of the, the treadmill, things just start going. You take one step at a time and it's amazing what you can achieve. So don't be daunted by it. It does seem like a lot to do and you're at, very, at the very start of the journey. But if you're with a good team and you've got the support of your business and you've got your friends and family, you can can do it it's totally achievable and you'll look back into his time and be like oh my gosh how you know how did I do that but it also gives you then the confidence in your day-to-day life to be like well if I did that then I can do this now you know taking on a row can be like a second full-time job and it can be a bit overwhelming and but somehow you do it so then like times like this week when I maybe feel overwhelmed at work I'm like well, we've done it before actually you've done more than this before so you can totally handle this so yeah I guess my I guess my lesson is just say yes and um and crack on with it I'd say another piece of advice is to to talk to all the teams that have done it in the past but also not to take their word as as sort of sacred because lots of teams do it in lots of different ways and lots of people think they've done it the best way so take in all the advice listen to everything because they've done it before but also go with your gut what do you feel is right what's right for you, what's right for your team, what's right for your campaign, because otherwise it can be really confusing. You can get so much advice and you just don't know where to look. So so take it in, but then go with your gut. And finally, would you do it again? At the moment, I'm not planning on doing any other rows. Two, two rows in my 20s is, is enough for now. I would love to take on another water-based challenge, whether that's a paddleboard or a sail, something like that. But for now, I just need a couple of years of just slowing my pace down a little bit. Um, and as I said earlier, so taking the lessons from, from the ocean of having a bit of peace of mind and slowing my pace, pace down and just enjoying life in front of me and not sort of always needing this big high from a row, but actually just appreciating the here and now. But that will last a couple of years and I'm I'm sure there'll be something on the horizon, but nothing for the moment. Big thank you to Bella for sharing her story and all of her advice. Her brother Angus will appear at some point in a future episode, so listen out for that. And maybe we can persuade Bella's uncle Charlie to come on and tell his story too. Go and follow Bella on Instagram and you can find out if she makes that big paddleboard or sailing adventure happen. If you're an ocean rower and would like to share your story, get in touch, theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com or via Instagram at theoceanrowingclub. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, like and share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when we go back to the Atlantic Ocean and we chat to our first solo rower of the series. Toodle pip!